0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode number six of Radio Peligrosa. Boom! I am Orion Garcia. We have Manolo Black in the house.
1: What's up, y'all? Also yeah. known as Trey Lopez.
0: A.K.A. the Neverager. A.K.A. dorian young Trey. Forever. Don't ask
1: me for my secrets
0: on this episode. <laughs> no secrets given. We he also have a very special guest in the house. Longtime friend, man of many trades, uh, Brian J. Ramos. That would make be me. Make some noise.
2: Yeah. Ah, ah. I'm making noise for myself
0: right now. That's how, that's how, we, how we do it. That's pretty much the story of my life <laughs> here. Can I curse on this thing? You can do Is whatever you kind of, want. Yeah. Cool. You can make the sound of one hand clapping. Yeah. So let's get into it. Um, I know you, but why don't you give us a little um, crash course in Brian Ramos. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I've been a musician for most of my
2: life and I work in audio. Uh, most recently I work quite a bit doing sound, production sound on location and on set television and film and, uh, making music for moving pictures, but I've done the whole band thing and I've made records and done all that shit too, so...
0: Don't give us too information. So Brian was one of the founding members of Grupo Fantasma. Um, and w- when was this? What about what? what, what time of? Uh, well, there's the b- wasn't there
1: Blimp. There was Blimp. There was Blimp that's a long that morphed, history. Morphed into okay. so, Grupo. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And y'all so, did. So you y- did. Shows.
0: You started playing guitar first. Was your first instrument of yeah, love? Yeah,
2: I was. I played guitar. My father plays guitar, and so I picked up his guitar. But I was a little shit. And I wouldn't let him teach me anything, so I started like just picking out my own things and like learning Iron Maiden tunes and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh I guess I met Johnny, who is the former drummer, one of the founding members for Grupo, probably in '92, man. Like way back, and we started playing house parties.
1: Were y'all still you were already here in Austin? No, no, no. This no. was Laredo. Okay. Like cool. this all I was goes ask back you
2: all in... the way to Laredo, right, man. Like cool. '92, we were living in Laredo playing all these house parties and we were like we knew all the other musicians in town but the cool thing was we somehow always got away with playing our own shit and we started getting club gigs and we played our own shit we didn't play covers we didn't do any of that we were like the only dudes that started doing that at the time and after that it's nice because like it sparked a scene where friends of ours started doing the same thing and then they started getting gigs you know but like they would play, like, a set of Stone Temple Pilots or something like that back in the day. But, like, we never did that, man. And a lot of the time, we didn't even have songs. Like, we would just improvise for Yeah, I was going to ask
1: you, were you guys writing songs? Or you just, like, start on a key or something? We had songs written, but then we and would
2: just also start playing and we'd take LSD on stage and shit. <laughs> and But we used to play a lot at this place called Sal's Pizza that's okay. still there, I think, on San Bernardo, which is, like, the main drag in Laredo they had a big stage and they had no kind of they didn't give a shit about whether you were a minor or not so like and we were kids so like yeah kids just going off getting shit face drunk every weekend we would play like three nights and we're like Thursday, Friday, Saturday wow and we it was great man we also like somehow we were always really lucky we would draw a crowd because we had like mad friend circles you know so
1: you and Johnny and then who else like what was instrumentation yeah, it was instrumentation. A trio at the
2: time it was like me Johnny and this dude Carlos right okay. who also he lives here now and okay. he played bass and it, you know like the big influences then were like Primus you know what I mean <laughs> Like Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers, oh, Butthole yeah. Surfers, yeah, you know what I mean. Like 90s, playing yeah. just like really weird shit like that. At the same time, we had started going to Mexico a lot. I I went to a different high school from all those cats, so my high school was like a thirty minute walk from Mexico. Okay, and we had open campus. So by like junior high school, junior high school, we also had open campus. We started like what? skipping school and walking to Mexico to get tacos or whatever and drink a beer. You know, you could just have a beer. <laughs> right. We would go to this little bar called La Montera. It was kind of underground. Like, literally, you would go down these stairs. And that's where you started hearing, like, Aniseto Molina and Andres Landero and all that stuff. So that little seed got planted in our head. And, like, we had this friend, crazy mythology of it that's weird, because about that time we also, like, this is, like, 94, 95, we started hanging out with Beto and Greg And Beto and Greg are still like brown out Grupo. Right. Like they're the dudes, right? Money Chicha. Money Chicha. Yeah. Those cats were younger than us. And um, they had a band called Love Rhino. (laughs) 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 And we used to play these parties too at this place that we called La Bodega that was just like my homie Saul's family's place, dude. And we saw some crazy shit. Like, I mean, these parties would get so out of hand. Like, I saw apparently, like, actually didn't see it happen, but apparently cops came one of those many nights. Some dude jumped on their car and just, like, smashed the windshield of a cop car with a big cement brick. Like, shit like that was going down. We had this friend, Georgina, who played drums in Love Rhino, and she was from the hood that I went to school in. Like, so I knew her from back then. She was the one who really got us into going to these little congales in and listening to live bands playing cumbia. And it'd be like, there was this cat, Carlos Vaquero, that we were like kind of tight with. He became a homie. That dude was like our age. He was real young, just starting to learn the accordion. And in like the few months that we were hanging out with that dude, we saw him like pick it up and really start playing. And all this dude would do was play. These are cats who, like the cats that like, kind of open our minds to this stuff where dudes that would start off at like five in the afternoon at a restaurant, six o'clock, another restaurant, seven, little congal or dance hall, all the way to like 10 o'clock at night in the regular neighborhoods, and then they'd go to Boys Town, like the prostitution area, and play and play and play and play there till like sunrise. Yeah. And just stay there. Like the the key was, if you were one of those bands, you would get a girlfriend who was a prostitute and then you had a place to crash at the end of this whole crazy shit. And that was, like, six nights a week for these cats. Wow. So that turned us on me while we were, like, like it's funny. I mean, Greg and Bethel might not like it that I say this, but those of these were into fish, which I could never get on board with. <laughs> like, fuck that I shit. I could see that. But they, like, while we were listening to all the him. American musics that we listened to and, and even European stuff and, like, white people music, that we were really into and hip hop that that Gumbia thing like we got to see it live and direct right in front of us and and we got to see the the economy of it like the commerce of that life i think had a huge effect on all of us and so little by little everybody started like transplanting over to austin yeah and the bands kind of like coalesced and and, you know, one dude would leave and another dude would come in and I wouldn't be there and then I'd come back.
0: And, right. and like uh, the wind of an accordion. Yeah. So and, just, and nobody played accordion. I don't know how that <laughs> happened.
1: <laughs> did you, so growing up in your household, your you know, your family, parties, whatever, you know, all the family functions, did you, what kind of music was being played there? Because I remember some of my first, memories of listening and and it was more like for me more conjunto music like norteño mm-hmm. with a cumbia in there every now and then like every five or six songs they would throw the cumbia in I'm like yeah. oh I like that one a lot more you know even as a kid I was feeling that more but it wasn't like we had a ton of cumbia in our house all the time it mainly happened when I went to like dances or mm-hmm. or or parties in the you know barbecues where they like you know just that's, that's what we heard a lot. But growing up, I'm just curious, like, in your own family, because you're in Laredo, right? Yeah. Um, but you didn't get exposed to this till, a little, till you had to go, you know, it's somewhere else. It's a weird thing, a man. Way. But it was so, such a close
2: So my dad, vicinity, though. My dad is from a family of nine children, and it's eight brothers and one sister. And they kind of all detest Mexican music. Like they're just weird boomer age people that got into like the hippie sound. Yeah, my mom was kind of poppies and also like, like into the hippie sound. Yeah, and like so through them, like my so my dad and his brothers all play guitar and harmonize and sing Beatles. That's it. Like they don't even like yep. they don't fuck with the Rolling Stones when they play and sing. Okay. I grew up every barbecue these dudes would play for 4 hours just Beatles song after Beatles song, mostly early shit. Yeah. And that's and they like my dad has this crazy ear that like I don't even understand how his memory for for uh the structure of harm of of harmony is crazy where you all show him a song like i remember when benavista social club like i digress but whenever social club came out and i showed my dad those Cardenas, right like just played it for him one christmas came back like the next thanksgiving after that and i mentioned that song and he was like oh you mean and just started like piecing out the chords you know and he has like a weird voicing ability he never plays the chords exactly like in the same key that it originally was, but he like lands it in these like these chord structures that he kind of picked up. And they're all Beatles chords. This is a funny thing. <laughs> it's like the Beatles translation. <laughs> so like that was the deal, it was Beatles. And like my dad would like literally like I think there was a a period in the valley. I mean not to I don't want to talk shit, but cuz I love my people from the valley, but when I was a kid, there was a point where there was like some pretty hardcore racism against Mexicans among middle class people in South Texas, and a lot of people won't admit that shit, but it's very true. You're talking about middle class Mexican Americans. Middle class yeah. Mexican Americans, yeah. man, they oh, really look down around on
1: Corpus Christi and and yeah. Robstown too. You yeah, know, I man. think it was just oh, and speaking Spanish thing.
2: was like frowned upon. You know what I mean? Like I stopped. I lost practice for Spanish as a teenager, as a young as a young adult and a teenager, like, it wasn't cool, you know? And we were kind of looked at weird, because me and my crew were some of the first kids in Martin High School. We were going across, we were going to Mexico, and people were like, why are you going to Mexico? Oh, yeah. You know? Where I knew these same people in elementary school, and they had just, they were fresh off the boat. Like, they had just crossed and didn't even speak English. You know what I mean? But suddenly, by eighth, ninth grade, those same people are talking to me like this, and like... Just kind of behaving like they're white Americans watching cable television and trying to embody that and like my dad used to have this thing he calls a he called conjunto music troquero music because it was like and I don't know it, it kind of he was uh, it was much to his dismay I got really into that stuff you know as a teenager which was probably a bit of a shocker for my parents because, like, Iron Maiden... First, it was, like, Iron Maiden, Slayer, Danzig, like, the early Dan... The late Misfits, the- all the Misfits stuff, like... And my parents were, like, seeing the posters on my wall and, literally, like, they brought the priest over to, like, <laughs> have a talk with me and shit. And then suddenly, like, like finally his tastes are changing, but it's, like, changing to what? Like, some other shit that they frowned upon, you know what I mean? But I always loved, like, the Beatles and the Stones and all that shit, too. So,
0: yeah. Well, for sure, I I think, like, that's your teens, right? You're trying to create your own identity. Yeah. You're like, I don't want to listen to the Beatles. Definitely not going that way. Yeah.
2: Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still dug it, you know? Like, yeah. all I did was listen to music and try to play music. You never took any music theory in high school
1: yeah. middle school or anything like I that? Played so the, you had, you I played had trombone some, band. You had a foundation
0: of, like... The junior high playing trombone? Yeah. I junior high sax. trombone. Yeah. Jeez, right. Right. Was that the first time you uh, learned how to read music?
2: Uh, I think they put me in piano lessons as a little kid, yeah, but little kid. I didn't dig it. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I didn't like the teacher. We didn't get along. I
0: think that happens a lot. It I was does. a shitty student yeah. with
2: everything when I was a kid. I, I, I'm right there with you,
0: sir. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so the trajectory, you moved to Austin, and then at what point does... Uh, group of start
2: what happened was they had the there was there was the blimp is what what we became and then Stayed there was a three piece up till then it nah it was like a five piece sometimes like and that. sometimes i was in sometimes i was out mike this other dude was in and out and and then there was blue noise band mm-hmm. and that was dave lobel and adrian jeremy Bruck. And yeah. a couple other cats. I think I DJed some shows way when they first started. So yeah, back in the day. I dude. never
1: played with Blimp, but I played with the the first version of Grupo many, many, many times. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, those are dope shows. So, but Blimp was doing cumbias. We started to at the end at, there. Yeah, at the end because I remember the shows at the Ritz and kind of one or two towards the end of yeah. the set, maybe even. Yeah. And, and then there was
2: like some other spot on Sixth Street that I think we did play a show with you. At the with the blimp? Uh with the blimp, You're, man. You might be I think. Right. Is it not the Mercury though? No, it wasn't the Mercury. It was like some other spot. It was like an earliest show, right before that stuff went down. I guess what happened was eventually there was a there was another couple of horn cats. And so finally it was like, ooh, there's a potential for a horn section. Right? Like this guy Dave Wolf played okay. Flugelhorn. And so him and Dave Lobel were on horns and uh the dudes decided like let's get together and learn some cumbias. And and we had a couple of rehearsals and and booked it. Boom. You know, and, and it man, it went off really fast. Like yeah, those empana parlor shows was yeah, like
1: those are some of the ones that I did with you. With yeah, Damon
2: you Lang was the booker. Yeah. And now he owns uh, Nomad. Yeah. Right. And that was his first PA that he bought. Like now, it's funny wow. that all those like little things converged. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy, cool shit.
0: And then, I guess there was probably a couple other things you played with after Grupo, but then you also started uh, Master Blaster Sound System.
2: Yeah, yeah. So like, I parted ways with Grupo. I got shit canned, mm-hmm. right? And that happens as business, you know what I mean, and so funny thing was uh one of the cats who had been in grupo, uh Joseph Serrato, was a saxophone player, really fucking great musician
0: not not the inventor of Serrato, no, not
2: the inventor of Serrato, <laughs> but definitely a user of Serrato uh, that dude hit me up and said, "Hey, man, he was from Corpus, is from corpus, and like uh he said, "I got this homie, dusty." And I think you should talk to him because he wants, he has this band called El Sancho Mm -hmm. and he needs somebody to come and like show the dudes like kind of how to rehearse efficiently, you know? And, and Joseph was like, dude, you know, what's up with that. And so I was like, cool. You know, I went over there, like, just kind of, I called Dusty, like Mm -hmm. we talked like for like an hour the first time. And I was there like the next day, like just (laughs) went down there and, that was a trip like this dude like in coming from a situation where in austin there's such like a density of musicians that you know you're all kind of fighting for the for your little your jockeying for position and for resources here going to corpus where there's not as many musicians but it's like wide open with resources so like i go there and dusty's got a studio and like, he's shout a, out the he's, mayor of Corpus. He is the mayor of Corpus. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, we've got this huge warehouse next to the studio to rehearse in at the time. This place called Empire mm-hmm. and the full band. And, and it was nuts, man. Like, right away, like, it was like, holy shit, this is fun, you know? And I had been writing a lot because I think part of the reason that the Grupo era for me had to end was I, we, the band was tra- going very much in a tra- trajectory towards salsa, which I have mad respect for. And all those dudes are my brothers, man. I love them. But uh, I'm not a salsa guy. Like, I don't have that in my blood. It's not in my DNA, and it doesn't... I mean, some salsa really moves me, but for right. the most part, like, it's not my thing. I don't think thing like that. Thing to
1: perform that. it. right?
2: Yeah, like, leave that, leave it, you know. I'm not going to tell you I'm a plumber either. You know what I mean? Leave the shit to the <laughs> you professionals. You
0: like following the clave.
2: And I love the clavier but you know there are limits Uh, and I also kind of wanted to go back to something a little raunchier and like more punk rock I don't know dirty I like shit that's real grimy and the thing about salsa the way that it was being expressed to me in the band at the time was a very clean surgical you know precise precision thing And I like broad stroke chalk drawings that get smeared up and shit, you know. So that was cool to me, Dusty, at that moment. Like, that was a a moment where I came with a bunch of material, he had a bunch of material, and he needed a dude that, at the time, that he could kind of rely on to, like, take up some, like, multiple spots in the band here and there, like play percussion sometimes, or, or be able to compose, or be able to sing, or be able to play guitar, or whatever, you know, so...
0: And this is all kind of like this continued trajectory of where you're, what you're doing now, which we'll get to, um, doing like he- heavy production. Like at this point, you're probably not playing out as much as you are in the studio. Mm-hmm. Whereas before you were probably mostly playing out. Yeah. And do you, and it sounds like this, this time, right about the time you meet dusty start master blaster sound system. Um, you're already producing and making stuff and it's piquing your interest and you're moving forward on it. Um, At what point would you say, like before your uh, sound production stuff, um, would you say that your your original music production was becoming more interesting to you than playing out?
2: I think, well, what had happened was uh, Greg had gotten a computer in like I guess 98 or something man like you know I had never thought about I mean, it, was it like I was like computer what the hell do I need a computer for yeah. and he had acid he had like a bootleg copy oh, yeah. of acid back then and I started messing with that and it blew my mind that you could make stuff in the computer I was addicted man I was like hooked right away and I thought to myself like I think what it's a convergence of shit but Grupo had been the orchestra on a couple of theater productions, and I was like, "Man, there's a lot more theater productions that can't afford a whole orchestra. Plus, it's a big pain in the ass to rehearse a band with a show." Right. I'll bet I could pick something up where I make it all in acid, and like do a whole show. And it turned out like there was this theater. Com- there was a theater company in town, Newshank, that we had already worked with as Grupo before that. And they had a smaller budget. They couldn't afford the band. And they hit me up like, hey, do you have any ideas? What do you think? I was like, dude, let me do it in the can. You know what I mean? And bring you this craziness. And they did this play, I think it's Pinheiro play, called Blade to the Heat. It's like a boxing play. Real fucking dramatic boxing shit, you know, heavy acting. And so I did all these things with Greg, actually. And the funny thing was, it was like our first crack at it. We had like three months to make the music like a week before opening night, he got a virus and we lost <gasps> fucking everything. Wow. And had to rebuild it. Like nice. And we rebuilt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was like, dude, I'm out. I, like, I think there was a point where Greg was like, dude, I can't fuck with this anymore. Like, And I was like, dude, I'll take over, fuck it. And I just like tried to like just rebuild everything. Did it.
1: No, before that, were you a fan of films or uh mm. and music in films, like it something probably was already there that was like, oh was yeah, you know, I mean For sure,
2: like like, okay, you look at uh you know, ev all, all the Spielbergian shit that mm-hmm. touched all of us, all of the Star Wars, all the John yeah. Williams stuff. Yeah. And then like grittier films or like a lot I watched a lot of old school Mexican horror movies when i okay. was a little kid yeah and and a lot of like shitty b cinema that was like like they'd play stuff on like usa network on sundays you know what i mean like crappy horror movies yeah and the music always like moved me there's this movie man called my bodyguard and not the whitney houston movie but like it's this movie <laughs> from like 1980 that has this crazy score it's like a lot of oboes and it it, it fucking got to me when I heard that music. Interesting. Over this story about these two kids and one of them was a bully. uh, Matt Dillon's in it as the bully and then there's a kid who's like the psycho kid that nobody wants to fuck with. And this other kid is like being bullied and the psycho kid and him get together. And just like the way the score was used, that had a big effect on me that I think maybe stuck in my head. Right. But really... That came out in 1980. When you're broke... And you're playing gigs, you're looking to diversify your exactly. income so stream. So it was
1: mainly how can I do this? How and, can I not and get have these to work? gigs yeah. that would normally go to a band or a horn a live music or whatever? Yeah.
2: Um and, and saying yes, cause like you get like, hey man, can you do this thing? And it's like fuck, I could try to put together the dudes and they're just gonna complain because we're all from Laredo, we like to complain and shit. <laughs> But I could just say yes if it's just on me right? to do it.
1: Yeah. Like and You got control. Fuck it.
2: Yeah. And that that's a huge motivator. Then... Would you
0: say yes to stuff that you knew at the time you said yes you couldn't do? Yeah. I didn't think I could do a whole
2: play. It was like an hour and a half long play or something with an intermission and shit. <laughs> and I didn't know how to use a computer. Like, I, my life was kind of a... It, situations like that, holding hands right. is pretty much how we get to here. <laughs> like, so around that time, like later on, you know, we're in the, the, the Grupo days. And we had been doing these little pop tours, like little quick quickies. But spending all our time in the bars, dude. And I, we, I was coming back from L.A. and I thought, you know what? I had just gotten a computer, like my first computer, like a month before. And I got Reason and I got like Cubase or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, I'm going to go to Cine Las Americas, who's a non-profit that were in Johnson High School at the time. Now it's a different high school. but yeah, I worked for them
1: right before. I left right before, like, getting into Johnston. That was, like, a deal that I worked on to go there and do a presentation.
2: It's funny how we all kind of, yeah. you know. It was
1: around 99, 2000, maybe. Yeah, so, like,
2: mm-hmm. in '01, oh, I yeah. go there. Yeah. And I'm like, like, or I get off the plane and I go to Café Mundi, right? which is now yellow jacket mm-hmm. go to cafe mundi to drink a coffee and like think through my pitch i'm like dude i'm just gonna go in there tomorrow and try to pitch it i need to talk to Ohenio, who is like the temporary dude that was working on and i fucking Eugenio's there at cafe mundi oh shit so i'm like <laughs> holy shit this, this is meant to be so i pitch it i go in the next day they're like busy doing some grown-up shit and it's lunchtime and I pull out my computer and a keyboard, and these kids are walking through the halls and like coming in just looking to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And they see my keyboard, and they sit down, and I get them making beats right then and there. And I just turn around, and I'm like, this is the thing that I <laughs> want to try to show you. Like, let's do this thing. And that turned into this program that we were in, like, 30 schools over a 10-year period, reached thousands of kids, you know, whatever. Like, I had, like, six people teaching. And, and that was another... Moment where I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I just said like, let's go out and try to do it. And We did it. What, you know? what was
0: that program called? It's did called you...
2: Beat Lab. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, and we were after school program, among, one among many. Is this uh, still going? No, I gave it up after ten years of doing it. I gave it back to Cena and 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 I don't think it's still
0: going. But yeah, I think
2: they probably focused on
0: film um, stuff. So. You you helped star on Story. Um, sort of, yeah. Which is uh, Austin Film Festival and Public Radio International. It was on, on PRI. I don't think it's on PRI anymore, but yeah. it's um, I, I love it because it's on NPR on Saturdays, and I get to listen to it before yeah. I go hit up Volstead. Yeah.
2: Yeah, funny thing about that. So right around that time with the play going like back 10 years, Mm-hmm. I did my first film. I scored my first film from that play. Like, one of the dudes who came to the play and I met at the play was this young emerging director named Miguel Alvarez. And Miguel was making his one of his student films, like his second student film. Nice. And was like, hey, man, I need music, and I love this music. Do you think you could help me out? I'm like, sure, you, yeah. And I, that's, I did a few things for him and other students, and that's how I got it in with the with film, was like, there's all these students in this town, and if you want to make music, they don't have any composers. And they don't have any budgets either. But I'm just trying to learn, right? Miguel, years later, ends up getting approached by Austin Film Festival to start shooting their panel discussions and becomes a producer of On Story for television, which is on PBS. So won a couple of regional Emmys and they've done really well. Uh, so through Mig, there again, he hits me up to do all the audio for all that and I pitched to them because they already had they were like season 3 or 4 of the TV show which is now in season 9 and I was like let's take this audio and do these long form podcasts and they're like what the fuck is a podcast And this is like several years ago and so I cut together a pilot and turned it into a podcast Uh, Hawk Mendenhall from KUT approached us and said hey do you want to do it on the radio started doing it on the radio and then it got you know we went to Public Radio International for a while And I worked on that and I still work with Miguel and I worked on the TV show and the radio show for years.
0: You're still doing that off and on now? No,
2: no, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm, I no longer have time I moved on (laughs) from that.
0: Now you're doing a lot of independent stuff. Mm. Um, like a lot of different, like stuff ends up everywhere, like HBO, Showtime, whatever. Um, what, what, uh, okay. So, so now, now we're talking, you picked up guitar early. Mm-hmm. You're like, fuck it. Let me get cakewalk. No, fuck it. Let me get reason, <laughs> <laughs> uh, picked up reason. You're like, all right, I can compose a bunch of things. Um, I'm gonna start composing stuff for myself. Oh wait, people, you know, um, there's a need for this. So you go out, yeah. you get, um, your bearings, um, and and now you're not doing uh, free people sh- sh- shit anymore. <laughs> no.
2: No, but I, I do do work. I'll take work that does oh, Let me ask you, because we had work. a
0: discussion the other day where it was like, you know, it, it, it's clear to you that they're the people who have the least amount of money are the most passionate about their film. Certainly. Um, it, is that something you you recognize now? or did you recognize it before and you were just willing to... It was a mutually more mutually beneficial for you to learn while somebody else needed something for cheap? Mm. Or it, looking at it now, would you tell your younger self to, to ask for money?
2: Mm. No. I think I would have told my younger self to be a little more dedicated and take more projects. Um, you don't really... Until you have a frame of reference for... The other side, scale work, as it were, you don't know the difference, right? It's once I started getting like work that's more on a scale that is a decent right. pay or, or whatever, decent budget, let's put it that way, um, you realize the difference. Uh, a kick started, you know, crowdfunded independent film is a labor of love it's someone's baby and they want you to see it as as your baby but it's their fucking baby not your baby
1: take care of it and lady. they want and they're <laughs> it's just yours. it's
2: their whole world you know what I mean and I think I have an easy so I guess what you're talking about what you're referring to is that the, I mentioned to you the other day that like independent filmmakers tend to be very precious mm-hmm. about the work that you do for them and and it's true. I think
0: what it is. It, it, let me ask: Is that something to look for if you're trying to learn, like a broad spectrum of what goes into, you know, all the all the details that go into the audio for a film? Um, because, because from what I'm understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're working with somebody, an independent film artist, and you're maybe capturing sound. You're editing it. You're doing all the time code stuff. Mm. You don't even have to send any of that time code stuff to somebody else because you're the one having to process it in the end.
2: Mm, it was somewhat, yeah, okay.
0: Um, and then I, to, to where now you go out, you audio record the people acting. Yeah, I'm
2: doing production sound. Production like sound.
0: On set, yeah. On set, and you're not touching it afterwards.
2: Sometimes, yeah. I, I, won't, I, I hand over my files, and, and then they give it to an assistant editor who links up the video to the audio and then they cut it together and make a thing. But on some projects what I'll do, then the other side of it is post-production sound mixing where I get a finished edit and I get all the tracks and they sound crazy. It's like the fucking madman shit. And you got to go through and make all that sound pretty, you know? And then you got to add stuff. Cause like <clears throat> a lot of time there's stuff missing, you know, there's whatever, but yeah.
0: All these little processes or different skill sets essentially. Certainly, yeah. And 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 in, in
2: Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who takes on the file and mixes it is a different job from the guy who builds five point one environments, is a different job from the guy who does people sound, foley like people's cloth, is different from the dialogue editor who just deals with dialogue. And um, in that process, there's like, you know, a supervisor who's taking all that work and getting it to the final mix. You know what I mean? But when you work independent stuff, a lot of time you do you're doing all those jobs, you're wearing all those hats. You know.
0: Do you have a preference at this stage?
2: <clears throat> Man, I I don't. I really like
0: um, I like it all. Really like. Um, Do you like it, and uh, because you don't have to do the same thing all the time? Yeah, I like changing it up.
2: So, I do have preference, like in production sound, doing like where you're like the person putting wireless microphones on people and booming. And I really prefer. It's crazy because I don't watch reality TV, but reality TV stuff that I've worked is like the most fun job if you're doing that. Because it's, it, it's fast paced as hell. You don't get bored. You're getting paid really well. The crews are great. The crews are all like just smarty pants, hilarious people a lot of the time. Everybody's a kind of transient and carnival, is a carnival atmosphere. <clears throat> and like at the end of the day, everybody goes home and they don't give a shit. You don't have to care about it afterward. That's beautiful
1: no script I guess there probably I mean, is like a direction that yeah, you know the producers. producers want to take it but yes there's no it just seems like it's just open kind of a little bit mm, in a way unpredictable when, you're,
2: when your camera when your audio man you record it and then you forget it and and you've got like the crazy experiences that you oh my god you know the, the shit <laughs> I've seen this summer is crazy um, just watching human behavior, man, it's it's nuts and it's so stimulating. I love documentary work too, uh, for that reason because documentary, you're just letting life unfold in front of you, and if the subject is engaging, it's crazy, you know. But then in in post, uh, documentary and reality, not as much fun. <laughs> As let's say a a narrative A fiction thing You know in post Mixing something that's That's got some you know Narrative and some magical realism Or some effects and crazy shit That's where the fun is you know so it's funny how This duality exists There you know well back to your question Though like you're talking about would you have
1: asked for better pay or more pay knowing? I think, I mean, well, it seems like you figured out early on that going through the process of learning all this was probably a good thing. Or was that just kind of a coincidence as you're trying to get gigs? Um, Or did you, did you at that time when you were doing these things like, okay, this is going to pay off in the future or, wow, this is super cool because I get to learn this. Yeah, or it's weird. It's, just it's like the you blessing just, and the curse. It's like surviving, basically. It's like
2: the, the blessing and the curse of artistic ego is what got me into a lot of this shit. Um, I decided early on to treat the process of mixing somebody's movie or making the music for their little film or their theater production with as much passion... And like fury for my own like work ethic as I would anything of my own even though and this was the thing that a lot of my friends didn't get what I learned really early on was that when you're working for anyone like doing this stuff especially that's like composing you're an empty vessel you're not supposed to have an ego you're supposed to be transparent empty and to be filled by whoever's paying your fucking bills and whoever's real idea the thing was and if you're really doing your job a director feels like they made the fucking music themselves you know what i mean and you don't you but really i mean, come on they don't these are people who come to you and say like well we want something that sounds very wooden
0: but industrial at the same time. Like, very
2: technological, but organic. Like, the f- like the leaves on the floor of the jungle, but childlike, but we want it to be sexual. Like, that's how they fucking describe the shit they're looking for. They don't have any kind of... Mu- and you're like, the major key, minor key. <laughs> I have to break it down to, like, what instrument, man? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. is it a Maybe piano? Like, you want. mean the chinkly, tinkly little thing? Like, yeah, dude, that's a fucking piano. <laughs> You know, but you 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 empty your own head and you give them what they want early on. I wouldn't trade those early on freebie experiences for anything because that I didn't go to film school. I didn't go to any school. I'm I'm autodidactic (laughs) (laughs) and I'm a fucking high school dropout, man. But like I taught myself all this stuff and I needed somebody to be my guinea pigs. You know what I mean? And yeah. thankfully there
0: was a lot of takers Long on that work. shit that let me
2: experiment, <laughs> you know,
0: uh, that, I mean, I sit in the studio, you're, you're helping right now with the Trippicholo Cholo record. Yeah. Um, and I, I noticed that stuff, like your ability to translate, um, what anybody, how anybody describes music into an actual process. Um, I, it sounds like th- that's something that started maybe even as far back as Reason. Just now it's more predominant because you're working directly with individuals that have no idea about any of this music stuff. Yeah. So they're like purple sunshine cloud yeah. choir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you get caught up in that, in that process where it's like you hear somebody describe something in a new way and you, you're like... Um, like it's hard for you to come up with something or do you just like, or do you have like a set of principles that you hover uh, around? You?
2: I think I try to narrow it down mm-hmm. um, and I've had some tough customers. Mm-hmm. Like recently I did a, a film, I did the the mix and the music for this really interesting film where the filmmaker, uh, this woman Katja Straub, wanted a Vietnamese psychedelia like 60s kind of sound and she had a specific song in mind Okay, and it, the song the music figures really largely into it, it's called Dream Nails
0: Dream Nails?
2: Yeah, Dream Nails, right? So she starts off with this particular song uh, oh my god what's the name of the tune uh, it's not, it'll come to me in a second, it's kind of a famous Vietnamese song And the thing takes place in a Vietnamese nail salon and there's very little dialogue in the movie. So she's like, the sound plays everything in this. And there's this character goes and has this reverie while she's getting her nails did. Mm -hmm. And the cacophony of little sounds in the salon combined with like people's bitchiness in that salon environment start to kind of coalesce and become this, this like rhythm behind everything that, that, that climaxes in this like dance number fucking song and dance number you know what i mean and uh we get to that point and I, i was trying to like hold her hand through it because since i've been a musician i know the legal side of it you know when people have licensed my material i know how that works and so i kept i talked to her producers and said you know if you want to use that song try to get the rights for the master try to get the rights for the publishing if you can't get the master which is very expensive a lot of time try to get at least the publishing and we can do a cover because she was very attached to it this this is a filmmaker with a very very strong will and a very 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 direct vision and she knows what she wanted we get down to the wire and it's time where we're, we're there the movie is almost mixed and she didn't get the rights and didn't get the rights to either side publishing or master so now it's on me but we are in an environment where I, 10 years ago, there wasn't, cultural appropriation wasn't like a big deal. So I could have made her something that sounds very vietnamese mm-hmm. but I told her, I had to tell her straight up, like, dude, as a, as a crafts person, as an artist, and as a person, you know, the, the internet does not forget. And I don't anticipate things are going to get any more lax where cultural appropriation is concerned mm-hmm. I told her I don't, I'm not comfortable making you a Vietnamese song so you're gonna have to like give me some license and the, I had to take her, that song back to our heart is what it's called and translate it to what I ended up with is this kind of Phil Spector wall of sound sound that's very 60s-y Uh, that that has a very romantic vibe, that has a flourish to these horn things, and Mm -hmm. used a couple of Asian instruments, like some of that instrumentation, but very subtly and respectfully, so that I don't end up in hot water later on, and the target of anything, because God forbid. Because these movies, these little movies, and that's the thing everybody's got to remember, is the industry's really small, The movies can be a nothing, nothing movie, but it's going to make the rounds at film festivals. And any movie, even the littlest, tiniest, nothing movie, is going to be seen by 10,000 people. And that's a lot of people who will remember your name in the credits. (laughs) And time and time again, man, I've run into people 10 years later, and they're like, oh, you did the music for this one thing that I saw at some random film festival in Arkansas or some shit, like, wow. But isn't it difficult? You know, I, I totally get it. It's difficult, though, to
1: sometimes, I guess, get that authenticity, do
2: you think? Um, you, you mean, like, as far as the character yeah, or the song? Yeah, well, as
1: far as, so, this situation, you know, they there's not access to the actual song to use, so... Mm. You know, you're saying you know you gotta. You're, this, it's a Vietnamese song. You said, "Would that, would the director then go and try to hire a Vietnamese band?
2: She wanted to do it. Yeah, to do that. In and the then end, like, she wanted even vocals. Like we got down to where I had the music. I was like, dude, there's now I have music. She's like, but I want vocals. And I'm like, yeah, I was gonna ask you next. We, we need to bring in a there. Vietnamese singer. Like who or who do we have? You know, and we had one of the. One of the people in production who helped us find the location for the film because it was shot here in Austin, even though she lives in Berlin. Uh, So we were like already in those Vietnamese circles. But it would have meant find this person, bring them in, do a libretto, write lyrics in Vietnamese, which I can't help you there. You know what I mean? Teach them how to sing if they don't really know how to sing. Like, fuck, you know, that would have taken forever. Yeah. What we ended up doing is we just got this one little vocal chorus, that and she sang it, and it's oh, a melody dope. that I came up with, you know dope. that that sounds it alludes to a sort of far east vibe, but there's no there's no words it's just ooze you know what I mean and and ooh she got it yeah. she nailed it. And it's her singing. It's the director doing the vocals on the thing because we're in a mix session. And I was like, okay. She's like, well, what can we do? Should we call on? and should we do this? And I'm like, dude, let's put a microphone in front of you and you, you do it right now. Just do it. And you throw that into Melodyne and it's perfect. You know what I mean? And I harmonized her. She did a couple of takes. Knocked it out. And nice. we were done. You that's know what co- I mean? That's cool. Was she happy with it? She's thrilled. And the, the audience responded very well so far to the film it's it just i think it premieres at berlin oh it's it's in circulation now <clears throat> it's about to start circulating at can the you film say test. the name of the film uh, it's called dream nails oh, and yeah, I actually yeah. i just got a. I can tell you where it premieres uh i just got the word man oh, from them snap.
0: hot off the press
2: yeah let's see where we're going where are we going uh these folks Yeah, here we go. So, uh, yeah. Hoffer Filmitage, which is in Berlin. And then uh, Berlinale, it's the Berlin Film Festival also. So, great. You know, Hoffer is like Mm -hmm. a little film festival that's not bad. And and that's a good start. You know, she's going to try to get into Cannes and she's going to try to get into, like, Sundance, you know. Do you go to these festivals? No, because I no worked work <laughs> Austin Film Festival for so many years, dude. Mm-hmm. That that was more in a film festival for me. Now I don't, and I'd be a little more interested, probably, in like going to Telluride or Sundance yeah. or you know whatever. Yeah,
0: uh, is, South that, is that the same way you feel about shows? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm a mm-hmm. terrible concert goer, dude.
2: Like I. I I need to get back show, into it. Show up late, hang out in the back, buy your don't ticket, don't go. I don't mind it. I actually like coming to see you guys. You guys are like my favorite act in town. You're the ones that I really, I and I don't make it enough because I'm just an idiot, you know what I mean? I work a lot, but like every time I come and see y'all, I have a great time and I dance and I do my thing and it's fun. We're you know not what
0: paying mean? him to say this right
2: now. No, no, man. If you're going to come out, you got to come to Peligrosa. And I tell everybody, everybody asks me, like, what do I go see on Y'all are like, I'm like, what's the next Peligrosa? You, know, so you know what? You know back.
0: what? I th- I, and I appreciate the compliment, but you know what else I think it is that we're the only ones still going. You don't know, anything else. You don't
1: know yeah. who all the other bands that yeah. are yeah. out, man.
0: Yeah. I don't have to think about it. I just, <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, how would you delimit all this stuff uh, as far as like production? Broadcast and posts, yeah. Score and design, yeah. Production sound, um, musician, yeah. What What is something that you want to learn that you do not know right now? Oh shit. Um, what What do I want to learn? I would love to learn. Uh, I mean, outside of anything having to do with, with yeah, media, not, it could be near future, possible reality, or just fictitious future. Uh, I mean like I have I've worked with metal a little bit with
2: metals like I worked in a blacksmithing shop for a little while and I just dipped a toe into that stuff and I love working with my hands like wood and steel uh, and jewelry is like something I really enjoy that I'd love to now that I have a little bit of the resources to like buy tools that's what I've kind of been thinking about but in production like I really feel like I would like to work to build tools for production. Be they physical objects, like there's a lot of little doodads and shit that's really handy when you're on the, in the field doing sound. And, uh, and programming, you know what I mean? And library stuff, because now I have the equipment to go out in the field and sample and record environments, and I'm kind of wanting to do a little more of that surround like virtual reality 3D mm-hmm. environmental sound is very fascinating to me. So, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I see a little collab on some VR 5.1 Let's shit. Let's do it. Get that Ambix.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: dude. So, what do you work, uh, besides being done with this uh, Dream Nails production, are you working on other production right now? Uh, we're well, also working on uh, the elephant piece, but I'm yeah, there's a
2: about. there's a documentary shot in Laos by a filmmaker named Kate Kirby uh, about mahouts, like the dudes that train elephants, and about elephants in Laos. And what kind and of elephants
0: do they have in Laos?
2: They're, it's the Asiatic, Asiatic elephant, right? Okay. And the the Laos is a country where apparently, like the elephant populations were threatened, and elephants have been treated very much as like kind of a afterthought a work animal you know and now they're starting to get into ecotourism like they're real and so they're opening up a little bit but it's a pretty restrictive government you know and and you got to be really careful there and you know often tourists don't really have minders but journalists the government will send a minder to like look in on you and Mm -hmm. see what you're saying and what you're doing and and apparently the, the the country is opening up a little bit more. So this was shot a few years ago, and now it's finally getting... It's been cut, and I'm mixing that. Um, I just finished a film. Oh, man, this has been a busy summer. Uh, uh, the Method of Places is a film that I just worked on. It's a short by a guy named Amon Johnson. That that was a cool foray into 5.1 surround madness. Um the film is a reverie. Uh, it's a it's about how people die twice. They die once when they die, and they die as you lose your memories of them because naturally, like memory isn't is a fluid thing that mm-hmm. starts to slip away as life goes on, you know, and and uh, kind of in the way I guess that it's like the the is it the it's not the Cherokee the pueblo indians say like you die two times like when the last person says your name you know what i mean um but yeah so that movie is about that and there's it's there's there's this crazy sequence where this girl is remembering being with her father uh, as a child and having this great time and suddenly there's this insane storm sequence uh that just it goes off man that shit bumps hard (laughs) you know and I had to build that and it's like you know 46 tracks of layers of shit and subs and synths that you don't know are there and just to make this really really hairy scary ass environment you know there's a lot of uh, psychoacoustic stuff that goes into it to just elicit an emotion from the audience likewise with composition you know what I mean like you you You're not making a bunch of notes, and here's my song. Here, like here, he goes. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if I'm doing my job, they don't know I'm there. You That's
0: know? something uh, I hear a lot in, like working at, it with people working in movies and films and stuff. It's like the camera guy. If you could see the camera move, you're not supposed to see the camera move. Yeah, you're yeah. supposed to be in the picture and see what the hell's what, going just on. Just wants the yeah. n- Nobody wants to see a weird whip cam. Yeah. They just want to, the story, it, the story has to be told. Yeah. Straight up.
2: Unless you're Michael
0: Bay. <laughs> yeah. Th- then you have artistic liberties. Yeah, I guess. Um, how much of this stuff, um, this kind of esoteric, um, these esoteric translations that you're bringing, translating into music, is for other people is coming back into your own music production? You know,
2: I think it's it's weird because what what has come back is a deliberate approach because there are deadlines because I'm thinking about my minutes and the budget. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot better at just forming an idea and knocking out that idea and finishing the idea. Or, like, if somebody's got... I really love working, like, I'm working on the cholo thing with you. Like, when you have notes and you give me, like, here's what we're looking for, it's like, let's knock it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's just take care of that shit. Whereas, like... You know, before it was a lot of weed smoke. And like, yeah, man, but like, <laughs> what if we try. try... Let's freestyle for seven <laughs> hours and yeah. then
0: record one minute of something we got to re-record later.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I can feel right now like it's almost like a, like the bag is getting full of something. Hot air or water or something. Helium. For me to put back into the music part. Because mm. I'm starting to also, I mean, arguably you can't do too much of the same things. Absolutely. I can't. Right. And so now that I've been away from music for a little bit, like I'm starting to get that feel Yeah. and making beats, you know, and and like every day lately I've been making a little beat here and there.
0: I, I will say, you know, I, I listen to a lot of you, play me a lot of your stuff. One thing I have not heard is this creepy, scary, intense vibe in in like uh, cumbia or um, one of your other hybrid productions, yeah. There's like you, you're very good at horn. You're, I mean, all all around well rounded. Um, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. Yeah, the, the scary um, apocalypse now. Yeah, <laughs> and that's uh, that's a man I've been listening to. I mean, that JID record that yeah. you turned
2: me on to. <laughs> so
1: you worked with a, a ton of filmmakers, right? Or yeah, no, several, lot, yeah, yeah of you. many. Do you have you thought about? Do you have a story kind of that you're wanting to tell from that? Oh yeah, role man. like you you writing directing the whole thing. I mean,
2: mm-hmm. all right. Um, I have things. I mean, everybody says they're working on a script, but you know, I've got well, I've written a lot that I'm just not like. It's like, oh my god, how are you going to fucking make this shit happen? Like this, I got this idea for a period piece. That, yeah goes between the 1900s and the 1960s and now and the 80s and back and forth. And it's like, how the fuck am I going to ever make that shit? But it's fun to write. You know, I've written a lot of scene stuff. Like, I'll sit there and just write two people talking. Like, how does that even what do you do, How do yeah because I you do was thinking that? I mean like,
1: working in this and, like playing you know, chess
2: with yourself kind of yeah it's working in that field I'm sure yeah, I'm like, masturbating like, and I'm really good at that too
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know it just it just seems natural that working around all that you start to maybe formulate your own kind of stories. yeah you know? well even before you started working on film you already had that but just yeah. seeing being a part of the process to make like an idea become like a, an actual film or reality you yeah. know
2: well, you and, know, it's and, funny, too, because I come from my mom and I used to sit there. And my mom still to this day, dude. Like, the other day, my mom calls me. She's like, you know what? <laughs> I have an idea for an invention. Like, half the time she calls me, that's what it, it's like. I <laughs> thought of this story. There should be a show with these people who got really sick from touching a shopping cart. Like, it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck?
0: She's nuts, man. And, like. <laughs> So we—that just yeah. sounds like a horror movie, yeah. <laughs> that, that I would—I should probably not watch as a uh, growing germaphobe. Germaphobe, yeah. stay away <laughs> from. i <laughs> something, is what I'm saying. Stay away from the slaughter lane HEB that's like from the '80s.
2: Um, yeah, I do, and I, I'm actually so recently I have a, a friend who is in law enforcement, and he wants to work on something based on his experiences in law enforcement. Oh, so he cool. and I have been getting together. Uh, he, myself, and his wife, actually, she figures into the story largely just... And all we're doing is just talking about... Kind of sketching out an idea or something. We don't even know what we're going to do because, I mean, he's still active in law enforcement, so he doesn't know what he can... There's a lot of things he can't literally talk about. Sure. The shit would make amazing reality TV. Let me tell you, if we had access to... Oh, my God! There's some crazy (laughs) stories. But uh, we're trying to, like, just... Get the stories down and see what we can make, you know. Yeah. But working and working with on story, the the Austin Film Festival show, right. that's like, I mean, it was described as film school, you know, in a box. Like all they talk about is story structure, writing, you know. And I listened
0: to thousands of hours of these people right. talking, so I've right. got all that in my
1: head. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Are,
0: are there are there things and pieces from from. Other people talking that that kind of stick around. What do you mean? Like that's stuff that that really affected you and the way you work. Yeah. Anything you, you can think of that Lawrence
2: Kasdan. Mm-hmm. I think it was was it Lawrence Kasdan? No, it wasn't Lawrence. Yes, it was Lawrence Kasdan. He he wrote Empire Strikes Back, right? And uh, he's like you know it's the whole idea is you got a guy and you want to get you you. you the story starts and you got a guy and you got to get him up in a tree. And in the second act you throw rocks at that guy. And in the third act you get him down out of the tree. That's it. That's every fucking story right there. <laughs> you know, or the story is you got the stranger who comes to town. And whatever happens. Or you've got like the person who is in town who needs to leave to go on a journey. And that's it. There's very few stories. You know what I mean. And and that's that's what it is, right there. That really like, he he broke it down. Interesting. Yeah, we've got to forgive him for Force
0: Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a a lot a lot of stories that you know repeat, um, are told real shittily.
2: <laughs> sure.
0: There's, there's a lot of those stories. The football coach, fucking team winning at the end. They're always having a, a romantic component to, yeah. even if it's a depressing yeah. action film, like some of that shit is just like tropes, oh, this is tropes, you know, I'm going to make it, we're going to, this is going to be an all well-rounded production. A lot of movies get ruined like that, but you know, a lot of them are good. Also, Yeah. A lot of movies die in the third act. Yeah. The third
2: act fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. They're great. First two parts. It's like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I'm into it. And then,
2: but you know, what are you going to do?
0: Uh, I've been real into the armature stuff of, like, the 80s era of Empire Strikes Back and a lot of the sci-fi movies. Um, have you done any, like, production work on 3D or animation stuff? No. I haven't had enough of a chance to do any of that stuff, and I would love to,
2: let me tell you. Interesting. Um, I, I have a couple of friends who are artists who either sculpt or paint or make, like, like sort of three-dimensional... Physical paintings out of objects and we've talked about doing like uh, one of my best friends uh, she's very into and very knowledgeable about mythologies from different cultures like all the myths from the Far East and from Africa and the Native Americans and and like man we've talked about doing some stuff because it'd be great. The last thing we were thinking about was uh, there's a lot of mythology around seals and sailors interesting yeah and there's these crazy irish and scottish folk songs that we were looking at like damn you could do some crazy like a just like a music video sort of thing out of one of those tunes with like a stop motion sort of thing or a 3d rendered you know yeah i'd
0: love to man let's do it i'm game yes you know i'm game yeah, I'm slowly, I'm you know, I'm, uh, same kind of spectrum, different skill set. Like eventually, I will learn every process, and it's not necessarily to in the end have to do it all yourself. Sometimes it's good to know so you know where your place is in getting stuff done. Yeah, but I'm definitely feeling the uh, animation, and I've gone down a rabbit hole of 3D and now claymation and armatures and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, there was just something interesting recently about Alexander Girard, has, like he he, they, he donated like a hundred thousand cultural artifacts pieces or whatever, and I can't remember exactly where it is, but you know it, it, the whole premise was like said it, it, the way the museum set up anyways is like it's not this is from this era and from here it's just like all mixed together. In this story, that like essentially every everybody's more alike than they are different, mm-hmm. and I think that resonates a lot in a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I
2: think like I've got a friend. My friend Wade has a, a nonprofit arts nonprofit in New York called Future Perfect, and he said a great thing because he's an MFA dance guy, and he's like older. He's like probably fifty something right now, and he came out of his MFA in dance. In right at the beginning of when the internet was starting to find ubiquity like we're talking like ninety something 2000 mm-hmm. and he went and got he got like a f- further education sort of grant to go do computer programming I'm like why the fuck did you know why would you do that he's like because I knew I wanted to cross into those realms I didn't want to learn to program I wanted to learn to ask the right question. Absolutely. And that's where it's at. Yep. You know.
0: you got. I, and I tell this to people all the time, like Louie even. He's like, how do you, you know, what? What? send me some stuff so I can learn Ableton. I'm like, pop it open, hit the help menu, and there's lessons in there. Yeah. And it's not that those lessons are super great, but it will teach you all the vocabulary words for the questions you're going to ask later. Yeah. If you don't know the, yeah. the question, you're not going to be able to yeah, ask it. exactly. So. Yeah, That I've taught myself everything, Pro Tools or whatever,
2: and Reason. And all that stuff, it's I use it until I hit, uh, like, fuck. How do I do that? And then I got to figure out what the fuck it's called, and then do a Google search and watch a video, and there it is. You know, before you know it, you've already done everything.
0: School of YouTube, University of YouTube. Yeah, man. God bless it. Graduated from that. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of uh, production, how do you feel about the uh, the AI stuff? Kind of. matriculating into mm-hmm. production stuff. I think it's
2: great. I think it's... Uh, we are at a point where we need selective pressure. And it's just like... It's like a drought on the savannah or lions or selective disease. Pressure. It's selective pressure. AI is going to take jobs away from some people. It's going to force people to be more creative. It's going to force people to really... Like edge up on what what they're good at and what they can offer, and it's gonna make a lot of stuff a lot easier. And and in the end, it if if you've seen the uh, documentary series The Terminator, um, <laughs> you know exactly what's gonna happen here. You know how the story ends, but oh wow, you know
0: <laughs> we might not even be around for that one. Uh, There's an
2: actor. In one of those Terminator movies, it looks a lot like Orion, By the way,
0: I'll take it. Yeah, he Maybe was in he Carnival Farrell or something. Who's, with, who's, who's always this? say my one eyebrow reminds them of that? Let me see. Let me see. Look, I'm like more Big Frida. I mean, <laughs> Frida Callow, Big Frida Kahlo. <laughs> big.
2: I'm gonna find this dude's name, and everybody listening, you need to look up this
0: dude. We'll have it in there. You're gonna see like show notes.
2: He's the spitting image. It's going to be the photo for this episode. Yeah, um, where is
0: this cat? Is it from Gleaming the Cube? Q- His Z- name one? is Nick Stahl. Nick Stahl.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. He looks just like Orion. You got to like check it out. It's like
0: real handsome Odeon. Uh my, my nose is a little more p- pudgier. Well, I said. I, I got know, a little... Puerto Rican. You get a little work done on you, you, get that work chin nose. worked out. And, yeah. So we're so happy that you came on the show. Happy to be here. I, yeah. I want to give you the opportunity to plug some shit if you got some shit to plug. Mm, I don't got nothing to plug. What am I gonna plug? You can plug I don't know. Plug.
2: I I want everybody to come and see Peligrosa.
0: <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I want to plug. Okay, now we gotta pay you. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be ten dollars. Are are you reaching out for for like business and stuff like that, or you just do is, at this point? Yeah, it's just like
2: it's word of mouth. One thing leads to another to another, and I just keep working.
0: It sounds like before you're done, whatever mixing or out on the road, some something, something else, else is like kind of popped up. Oh
2: yeah. Well, and sometimes no. like sometimes I don't even know, like oh shit, I'm almost out of work, and then boop 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 boop, boop you know, I get those calls. You just gotta. It's how I've lived my entire life, you know, by uh by the seat of my pants, basically.
0: <laughs> it is there but for the grace of God. Now you're wearing nice loafers though. Oh yeah. Or, or uh dockers. Yeah. I don't fucking know pants. Oh, uh what's that shit Louis always does? He's he's like, What's your fuck like your favorite shoe right now or some shit? <laughs> I, I forget. I don't know. He didn't uh, ask me that. He uh. asked me Or, like, something to that effect. Do you have a
2: favorite shoe? Do I have a favorite shoe? I got these Reeboks right now that are Mm -hmm. sick. I like anything black and gum. That's, like, key (laughs) for me. Anything black with a gum sole. When are you going to grow up? (laughs) Never. I wear a lot of slip-on shoes, you know. I like to be able to kick them off. Um, Relax. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, y'all need to check out BrianJRamos.com. Uh, maybe he has some stuff on his site of some of his music. I should update
2: th- that shit before this gets
0: out then. <laughs> 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 it's been a while. I've been busy. <laughs> but you, You're hearing like early project. 96 yeah. early '96 stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'll link up some Master Blaster Sound System too. Um, what else are you on that... that uh, I tried on a cakewalk record, cake oh, yeah. record. Yeah, man. Just,
2: we did some of that stuff. That was yeah. good. I'm supposed to try to get back with Michael and work on his next thing a little bit, maybe or something nice. soon.
0: So, yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, let me write it off for you. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's a rarity to get you out of the house, and I appreciate you coming down hey, here. Hey, it's yeah, thing. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. This has been another episode of Radio Peligrosa. Burr, 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 burr. Yeah. Thank you all for listening and in next time. We have guests. Who knows? Maybe Steph. I want to see if Stephanie comes through. Uh, I mentioned uh, it to her at the yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Shout out uh, also uh, Margin Walker and the SOS team. Yeah. Um, shout out the Sims Foundation, Music on the Menu. Uh, art and excellence for that show we did with Bumbi this weekend. That was a lot of fun. Damn. Uh, Hopefully this will be out before our next Peligrosa, which is September 20th at the North Door, celebrating Mexican Independence Day. We got Zoot Zoot from NAFI coming up from Monterrey. We have Esa Pau coming up from Mexico City. Savani is coming up from Corpus. Yeah. Um, And we got a bunch of local Locos Peligrosa crew in the house yeah maybe DJ Dust will
2: come and not play at a different place at the same time as y'all
0: <laughs> yeah go get your man's dust <laughs> that's good this is gonna be my my drop at the party yeah I'm just gonna cut this part out and, and drop you saying that <laughs> yeah give me that pee necklace back give me that. <laughs> <laughs> we go way back yeah Already like Bill and Teddy, let's get fucking free already. Peace. Mm-hmm. Peace.